There are many strange happenings in the wild country of British Columbia, and none more so than the singular event of coming into contact with a Sasquatch. In the indigenous tongue of a native people, the males are known as the Bukwas, and the females are named Sanakwa. The people who seek them out are known as Sasquatch researchers, and the following reports are from the files of one such man, Canada's preeminent Sasquatch researcher and seeker of the truth, Thomas Steenberg. Cholek River find, British Columbia file number one, or as I call it, 10001. I was actually uh, re researching in Alberta at the time. It was August of 1986, which I consider the best year of my life because I had basically the whole summer off with pay because I had all that accumulated leave left over from the Army, and I had to use it before I was allowed to leave. Isn't that something? They forced you to take a vacation with pay. So I basically wow. was off from May 1st, and I didn't come home to Halloween now. So. And this is one of the, uh, during my touring of uh, Western British Columbia, which is where I always went when I had a lot of time off, even when I was in Alberta, I was, I was in Hope. And I was just basically in a restaurant where this crusty old bugger who didn't really believe in any of this said something like that around there was seen not too long ago from Chilliwack. And as the situation developed later on, I don't even think this old guy was talking about the same incident. So I ended up leaving for Chilliwack and stopping in a, in a, a coffee shop there trying to get more information. And I was talking to this woman in the coffee shop who'd heard something about something, but she didn't really have any information. And then this fellow who was just sitting on the other end, who seemed to be listening intently, he came up. Now, this is a different fellow. He wasn't the old crusty guy from home. He came up and said, what happened happened on uh, down along the Chilliwack River in a campsite just a couple of days ago. And that's what he said. I didn't find out till later that, it, that this man may have been one of the witnesses. Uh-huh. I'm still not really 100% sure if he was one of the witnesses, but I have no idea. He just told me, and he gave me rough directions of where to go, and that's where I headed. So I headed down along the Chilliwack River. And the Chilliwack River back in 1986, once you passed the first bridge, it wasn't paved at that point. So all the way to Chilliwack Lake, it was a dirt road back then. It's now paved Ooh. all the way to the lake, but it was a dirt road then. I went all the way down there, and I, and I was begin, almost beginning to give up, and I saw uh, this sort of camping area off of the right-hand side of the road among some beautiful old-growth trees, and I went into what I later found out was the exit. <laughs> because there were no signs or anything. So I went in with the exit. And as I was going in, there was this red camper pickup truck with an old-fashioned camper on the back of Utah plates coming out. And I stopped, and there was an elderly man and woman driving. Turned out later I identified it was a Mr. and Mrs. Harris from Salt Lake City. 
they were out visiting Canada because remember, 1986 was Expo year. Oh, that's right. That's right. It was Expo year. So they had spent a week in Vancouver doing what she wanted, going to Expo and things like that. And now they were doing what he wanted, which was driving across British Columbia, fishing and camping, and then eventually heading home once they got to Banff, Alberta. But I, I casually mentioned, did you hear anything about something strange being here? And she lit up and she said, oh, you mean the Bigfoot? And he just shot a look at her as if to say, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I managed to calm him down. And 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 after a while, they, they agreed to put off their leaving. They backed the camper up. And they went back to the site and they showed me. Apparently, they're the ones that had the sighting. And what happened was, well, I'll just read what I wrote at the time. I mean, uh, actually, mm -hmm. it was not Cow Creek. For years, we thought it was called Cow Creek. And it turned out it's called Bald Beard Creek, which is a small feeder stream that feeds right into the Chilliwack River. I had for a short time during my search the wildest stroke of luck. I left the town of Hope where I was getting stitches checked out. Because remember earlier that month I had my little run in with a grizzly bear. Yeah. I was sitting having coffee in a small cafe in Chilliwack, not far from the Vendor Bridge, which crosses the Chilliwack Vendor River. I was talking to a waitress and a, and a young woman who had an interest in the Sasquatch mystery, and I was asking her questions about her shirts, and they, they, they were asking me questions about the subject in general. And a gentleman came up to me and told me he had, that he had knew about a creature that was seen just two days before, about 12 miles along the Chilliwack River. Now, needless to say, I wanted to hear more from the gent, gent but he would not give me his name. I asked him several times. He wouldn't give me his name. He said he just quickly told me how something had happened there and I should go check it out. Hmm. I just said a little bit more to that, but I'll keep that for now. Well, I was not eager at first due to the gent's reluctance and tone. I strongly felt that this was, was a hoax attempt and I was having a, a nice laugh at my expense thinking of me driving 12 miles up a road in Wells Goose Chase. However, by the time I did find the campground, it was nearly 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I drove in what I thought was the entrance, which I later found out was the exit. No signs this time. And I'm sure glad I did, because I came across a red pickup truck camp from pulling out, which I had to move over at the time. And the driver, he actually said to me, wrong way, young man. I remember that. Yeah. I waved an ass right then and there. Do you folks hear anything about a strange creature being seen here a couple of days? Without any hesitation, he replied, How the hell did you hear about it? It turned out that this couple, Bobby and Kathy Harris from Salt Lake City, were a couple taking a cache of fish as it went. They were an American couple visiting BC on vacation from Salt Lake City. They had spent a week in Vancouver attending Expo facilities, and now they're doing his part of their vacation, which is camping and fishing, and having a good time. He, was, he and his wife were down fishing for trout in the Chilliwack River itself. 
and there's a right across from the from the site there's a drop off down to the river's edge so when you're looking back at the campsite the high river's edge is sort of obstructing your view a little bit yeah all he remembered is looking at his wife and she's pointing back at the campsite something like this <laughs> the mouth agape he looked and said to me he saw what he, from about the way stopped because of the high bank, what he described as a brown hair-covered gorilla-like thing that was sniffing, had sniffing a stringer, a, a, a gill stringer, a fish that they had hanging on a hook on the tree. And they had about four or, or three or four trout on this, on this stringer, which they had planned to clean later on and have for dinner, right? Usually they, 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 they use this hook to hang a lantern at night. But they had the stringer hang out and figured it'd be safe there for a minute. Mm -hmm. Personally, I would have put them in the cooler, but hey, that's just me. <laughs> and the snake was sniffing the fish, and it just grabbed the fish, tore it off the hook, and the hook sort of went, bang, 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 and it immediately started walking away, crossing the main Chilliwack River Road, which was a dirt road that time. And disappeared along what at that time I thought was called Cow Creek. Found out much mm -hmm. later, thanks to a, a friend of mine who wishes to remain nameless because he doesn't want his buddies at work to know he's involved in Sasquatch research. He found out for me in about 30 minutes on the computer after me looking for 10 years at maps and charts and things and books that it was actually called Ball Beard Creek. Okay that the thing disappeared on. Now, our two witnesses who saw the thing never, ever went across the road to look to see where it went. They hung around there. They stayed the rest of the day. And they just saw, all they saw was this other man running down towards them who had seen it too and said, boy, did you see that? And I think, and I'm pretty well sure that he's the guy that I was talking to in that coffee shop in Chilliwack. Matter of fact, I know it was. He just wouldn't give his name. Okay, hmm. he was very vague. But thanks to him, I found out about this and was able to catch these people. As a matter of fact, I've been five minutes later. I would have missed them all together. You know. So they put off their leave and they told me the whole story. We didn't do a proper interview because I was not equipped to do so. And uh, uh, but they told me the whole story about their show. They described it. They say it was about over seven feet, seven and a half feet tall gorilla-like in appearance other than the fact it walked upright and all it did was snatch their stringer fish and walk away they never saw saw where it came from how it entered the campground which direction it entered the campground from all you know is she saw it first when it was sniffing at the fish and he just turned in time to see <laughs> take the fish and take off and that's what it did now there were two other young guys in the campsite down at the far end and i did talk to them too the most interesting about them is, boy, they were snickering and, you know, and, you know, and not taking the subject seriously and stuff mm -hmm. like that. They hadn't seen anything. And part of me in the back of my head, of course, you got to wonder, did these guys set something up? But I'll get to that later. After the Harrises carried on with their vacation, I decided to look across the road along the banks of Ball, of Ball Beard Creek. And I'm the one that found the tracks. The witnesses never found them. I could see in the water where something had crossed and left what looked what looked like a really good footprint in about eight inches of water right in the mud in the river. 
and it was still there. And I could see pretty good prints along the soft spots right along the creek bank there. And I could also see where it left the creek and went walking through the ferns amongst the, a couple of really rather large trees where these footprints just sort of rambled around all over the place. Um, the way I mm -hmm. thought of it at the time was like a man looking for his keys. And yeah. I theorized at the time that perhaps, perhaps it was just stopping and stud and looking to see if it was being followed. Okay. And, and it wasn't. And then the trail went on through into a rock side area on the side of Ford Mountain. And uh, Ford Mountain's a large mountain there on the other side of the creek. And this rock slide area, I mean, some of these boulders are the size of cars. You know, I took you there that one time. You yeah, showed me the spot that's right. That's right. And uh, it's amazing how that spot looks today. It was almost like someone threw a switch and suddenly that whole clearing there where the ferns and grass was started filling up with new trees. And now those new trees are 20 feet high. So it's actually a forest there now again, where it was just a clearing in the forest and a small batch of old growth trees before you got to the rocks then. And I followed that trail to the edge of the rock slide area and I never ever was able to find where the rocks, where, where the thing had left the rock slide area. And I was never able to find the fish stringer either because I was looking for that as well. I figured whatever this thing is, it's going to eat it like a, like a snack at a, a, a convenience store and throw it away. <laughs> but I never found it. Never found it. Could be uh, that, that was, yeah, that was very, very rough territory. Very oh, rough territory it, it around there. But the footprints, and I took several photographs of them. Here's one of them right here at the top. Mm -hmm. And here's another one. Oh. And those were the clear ones. And of course, this is 1986, so I'm carrying 35 millimeter film in a camera with 12 shots each. And at the time, mm -hmm. in my thinking, I was thinking, I better not take too many pictures of these in case I see what made them. <laughs> I didn't want to waste yeah. them all, right? Yeah. But I did take several photographs of the tracks at the time. And even compared one, like this one was interesting. I put my foot beside, it's where it was starting to go uphill. It almost looked like it slipped a little bit. Mm. But there was about 112 impressions. Of course, once in the grass and, and the ferns, the footprints were really just marks in the in the ferns of grass, right? Yeah. But yeah. down by the creek, there was enough there that I could cast two prints. I cast two of them, and I have one of the original grass still today, right out of the ground. And that's this baby right here. But what so, size is that, Thomas? 18 inches long. Yeah. Yeah. And this is obviously a right foot. And then describe the animal as seven and a half feet. But it was not the most ideal conditions for tracks. So I was amazed no. I was able to get in. And in 1986, this was not the first time I ever saw alleged Sasquatch footprints, but it was the first time I ever tried to cast them. And I learned some things. And one of the first things I learned was Give plaster enough time to dry before you try to pull it out of the ground. It says it says 20 minutes on the box, but give it an hour or an hour and a half, okay? Make sure it's fully dry before you bring it out of the box, before you try to lift it out of the ground. Because the first track I cast there, when I pulled it out, it crumbled. 
So it wasn't enough. Uh, wasn't enough water mixed in with it, or no? I just didn't give it enough time to dry. I waited twenty minutes. It depends on temperature too, I gather. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and and I was amazed at how much plaster of Paris it took to fill one footprint. <laughs> you know, all I had that with me was a couple of these large milk carton full of things you used to be able to buy. Now yeah. buy the big bags, right? And so I was, you know, not mixing it as thick as I should because I wanted to cast at least three of these things. I ended up yeah, casting two of them and losing yeah. one. So right away. So. <laughs> and that's what happened in 1986. And it's known as the Chilliwack River Finance. And if I hadn't found these tracks in August of 1986, I may have given up on the Sasquatch because I was under immense domestic pressure to put the Sasquatch then on the back burner and concentrate on more important things. Uh huh. Yeah. But uh, yeah. This, this stopped that from happening. And as a result, the more, more more important things ended up being put to the wayside, and I devoted my life to Sasquatch research from that from this case on. <laughs> it was a matter of Sasquatch marital bliss. Yeah. Sasquatch marital bliss. Yeah. Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not I'm not that far gone. I'm not that far gone. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We can't be who'll feed, who'll feed us, Thomas. <laughs> I th I'm, I'm thinking I'm being a, a hero, a explorer, devoting my life to something where in, in reality, my family was probably thinking of me like Al Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> no way, Peg. Wow. I'm looking for Harry Eats. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was the one that that was the one that made up your mind for you. Just enough tease in it to say, you know, there's probably something to this after all. I'm going to hang yeah. around for another yeah. few years and see what develops. Exactly, exactly. And and like I said, I was I was away that whole summer. Didn't get home to almost Halloween night. And I just wasn't going to quit after this. This is this is the year that did it for me. 1986, 78. 86 it was I'd like to do this more but I gotta I have a job I got responsibilities I gotta finish my military service other things I was being pressured not to leave the military to, to stay in you know make a full career of it be able to retire when I'm 50 with a full pension some mm. parts of me wish I had done that now but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, who knows would end up in Bosnia or Afghanistan. I don't know. I don't but think they have a Sasquatch over there. No, no. But that's what no. happened on the Chilliwack River fight in 1986. Probably one of the most fascinating casts of footprints I ever saw. It convinced me that there has to be something to this. Oh, and at the time, 1986, John Green and June had moved to Vancouver Island. And I tried to contact him, uh, and I couldn't get through to him. To let him know this happened. Renee was not at home. I couldn't get a hold of him. And I got a letter back when I got home and I wrote to John Green. I got a letter back from the Canada Post telling me he had died. Really? Yeah. yeah. 1986. They were trying to tell me that John Green was gone. What it was is him and June were in the process of leaving Vancouver and then coming back to Harrison again at this time. So uh, there was like, uh -huh. I guess I got him a sort of mid transit. 
But uh, yeah. for some reason, the post office, they put a sticker on it. They don't say, and they check off a sticker that's just deceased. <laughs> that must have been a <laughs> bit of a surprise. Say, no longer this address one or or moving one. They they stamp the deceased one. <laughs> yeah. And Crook. sent my letter back. So I had to make some urgent Fogos inquiries, and I found out, yes, John's alive and well. <laughs> yeah. And wow. I was able to carry on there. Yeah. But you, you, I took you, I've taken a number of people to that location. It's a fascinating tale today and been there a number of times. And oh. Apparently it's really well known because a lot of people go to this campsite, what is now known as Riverside Recreation Area. It has a name now. It didn't then. They've added more spots and they've added outhouses and washrooms i mean it was terrible back in the 80s like 86 there were no washrooms and almost behind every big tree there was little piles of toilet paper where people were using it as a toilet yeah yeah no i'm 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 familiar with that area i've i've gone through uh that uh a campground to uh myself and you and bill miller and gwen went through there when we went down to mount slessy yeah the back of Mount Slessie, we took the two side by sides down. Yeah, and almost hit the American border before the road was blocked off. Yeah, it's really rough, rugged country in that area. Yeah, you got to be part Billy Goat to you know navigate your way around. And I, before that, I took you and Gwen there and I showed you the tree that the, the stringer was hanging on. And uh, yes, and yes, the fact yes, that they, you did. They've they've added more campsites. There used to be a lot more. There was only half as many spots there at one time, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, bushes in between the spots in 86, which now they're almost touching each other. Yeah. 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 Wow. But that, but that wasn't the only interesting case that you started off in hope with either. There was another one, too, about uh, the little encounter on uh, Ruby Creek on Highway 7. Yeah, I think you're talking about the Ruff and Jennifer Bob case. Yeah. That started off pretty cool. This is one of my earliest investigations. It was 1985. BC file number 410004. And it's got an, an, a, another one I heard about. Of course, this wasn't days after it happened. This was years after it happened. And I'll just write down what I wrote at the time. This investigator's report. I was driving in the Hope on the night of August 30th, 1986. This was just after the Chilliwack River investigation, actually. Mm -hmm. I did not feel like driving any further that night, so I dropped in on the Hope Hotel to check with the locals to see if anybody had any encounters with the elusive Sasquatch. I used to be so bold when I was younger. I go into <laughs> bars and stop and say, has anyone here seen anything weird? And I get a lot of strange looks. <laughs> and right away, everybody stops what they're doing and puts yeah. their drink down and stares <laughs> at you. <laughs> I'm trying to have a knife thrown at me a few times. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, see if anybody had encounters with the elusive Sasquatch. I ended up talking with a fellow by the name of Sonny Irwin. Irwin, E-W-E-N. He asked me what I was doing in Hope, so I told him. He was a First Nations fellow. 
He became very interested in my search and asked me numerous questions about the Sasquatch. And it was then all of a sudden in the middle of the conversation, he said, my brother-in-law saw one back in the early 70s on the highway by Ruby Creek. Well, that's all I needed to hear. Tell me about it, I said. <laughs> well, it was the early 70s. My brother-in-law was on Highway 70, and apparently he saw one on the side of the road. Maybe he saw a bear, I said. And he replied, that's what I said when it happened. But after all this time, he still says it was a Sasquatch. I didn't believe him at first. Nobody did. But after all this time and all the ridicule he went through from his friends and his family, he never changed his story. So the next day, he gave me his brother-in-law's phone number. So I phoned. Turned out he lives with his charming wife, Jennifer, up around just north of Yale, right off of Highway 7. That's where they lived. They lived for years. So I asked if I could interview them. And they said, sure, no problem. They actually live in the small hamlet of Spuzzum, which is right off the uh, right off the highway there, a little farmhouse. Ralph Simpson has passed away. I don't know if Jennifer, Jennifer is still alive. Mm. Yeah. But I got to the place, and she said, sure, come on over. And remember, I'm visiting these people's home. In those days, I was still a, a little nervous about asking people, you know, to turn things off and things like that so we could talk, probably do a proper interview. I mean, she had her television going, and I didn't want to mm -hmm. ask her to be rude. And ask. So it's kind of funny when you listen to the old tape recording of this uh, this interview, because you hear the Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, in the background all the way. <laughs> what a soundtrack. Right, the, sound, the soundtrack, you know. Oh, he hates these cats! You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you hear in the background. But here's what Jennifer basically said. Basically, Ralph wasn't home yet. So I figured, okay, I'm not going to have to deal with a guy wondering what this guy's doing in this house with his wife when he gets here. But she said he's going to be home within an hour. And I and apparently she was with them, and their kids were with them that night. Mm -hmm. It actually happened late, early hours of the morning of, uh, in August of 1973. They were at the Chilliwack Drive-In watching an all-night feature. I have no idea which movie they were watching. And they were driving home along Highway 7. They had an old-fashioned station wagon. The kids were in the back of the station wagon and Jennifer was leaning over the seat trying to cover them with sleeping bags and stuff because they were all snoozing around. Ralph, the kids, and I were at the triple feature at the Chilliwack Drive-In. We were coming home along Route 7 past Kitty Corner towards the Ruby Creek Bridge. To put it put straight, you know where that... Uh, Rest stop is. Just before that. Matter of fact, that's the area where that most recent mudslide came down during that hectic few weeks we had here a little while ago. Yeah. 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 I know the area. Yes. Yeah, it was late between 1 a.m. and 1.30 on a beautiful, clear night. We're approaching Ruby Creek Bridge when I leaned over the front seat to cover the kids who were sleeping in the back of the station wagon. Suddenly I heard my husband cry out, holy blank, blank, blank. And at the same time, he hit the brakes and brought the station wagon to a screeching halt. Well, I didn't say a word first. I just I just looked, turned around, looked out the windshield to, to see the deer or car Ralph had break the mist. 
And I basically said, what the hell are you doing? Uh, apparently the kids didn't wake up, or one of them did, was just sort of going, mm, what's going on? Did you see that, he said. He said, no, I was covering the kids. See what? He did not reply. He just drove up the highway a short distance, did a U-turn. My husband turned away as it goes, so he drove back very slowly. And he asked again, did you see it? He said, no, I was covering the kids. There was something there, and it was big. My husband is a logger and a hunter and spends a lot of his time in the bush and has been doing so all his life. He was very good at recognizing game. As a matter of fact, he usually cleans the deer in the backyard here. And she showed me they have these big board, like, beams in a teepee like setup with a hook hanging mm -hmm. down. That's where he likes yeah. to clean his deer. Yeah. There was something there. My, my husband's a logger hunter and spends a lot of time in the bush and doing it this all his life. He's very good at recognizing game. And he's not easily frightened. I asked him again, what did you see? I don't know. It was big. I asked, was it a bear? He looked around a few minutes with the car headlights and he was sort of pointing the car towards the, the side of the road. I just reached around, and for some reason, I just reached around and locked all the car's doors. I don't know why I did that, but I just did that. Later, as we got laying home, I again asked what he saw. And that's when he finally said, the only thing I can think of is, is it was a Sasquatch. Maybe it was a bear standing up. Not that big, besides I know what a bear looks like. The next day, we went back and looked the area over. We didn't see any tracks. And the area, the area was very rocky and hard. Basically, what they were doing is they were driving back, and she was covering the kids. This thing was driving on across the the opposite lane on the pat, on the driver's side of the door, and was just standing there on the roadside watching the car go by. It didn't cross in front of the car; it was just standing on the side of the road, and it watched the car go by. And when he hit the brakes, he's not sure. He doesn't know if it crossed behind them. And then the other side of the of, of road is a, 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 cheap, a pretty steep climb down to the banks of the yeah. Fraser River, right? Or it just turned around, went back into the bushes right there. He doesn't know. He doesn't know where it went. He doesn't know if it crossed behind him or it just turned around, went back into the trees right there. But he turned around, but he never saw it again. He said it was just standing there watching us drive by. Well, after a while... Ralph came home, and this is Ralph's version. I've been hunting all my life. I've seen a lot of strange things, but nothing could compare with the Sasquatch I saw that night on the side of the road. I hadn't heard a lot of stories of the Sasquatch growing up and living where I do. I never thought I'd ever see one. I always thought that if I ever saw one of these things, it would be in the bush on a hunting trip or something like that, not on the side of Highway 7 watching my car go by. <laughs> uh, my wife's like she said like she said we were driving home from the Chilliwack driving late at night I'd say between 1 a.m. and 1.30 along Highway 7 I had an uneasy feeling like I get when I'm hunting sometimes hunter's feeling can't explain it the hair in the back of your head you know anyway we were approaching Ruby Creek Bridge kids were asleep in the back of the station wagon. Jennifer was covering them with a sleeping bag. I was driving along when I looked at this huge creature standing on the left-hand side of the road, looking at us, watching us go by. 
It didn't do anything. It just stood there and watched the car go by. I don't I I don't remember what I said, but Jennifer sure did. <laughs> but I slammed on the brakes and brought the car to a hawk. Halt. Lucky for me, it was late at night and there were no other cars on the road, or I would, probably would have been rear-ended for sure. Jennifer didn't say anything. She just sat there and wondered what the hell I was doing. I said to her, did you see it? She said, no, I was covering the kids. I did a U-turn, went back to where the creature was standing, but it was gone. I searched the area with the car headlights. I did not have a flashlight with me, but I found nothing. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, he did not have a flashlight. I found nothing. The creature probably moved back into the trees the moment I hit the brakes. I don't believe it crossed the highway after I drove by, but then again, it might have. It was so big, it probably would have crossed the highway in two or three strides. The next day, Jennifer and I went back to the area to look for tracks, but we didn't find any. We looked everywhere. But the area was so rocky, and the footprints would have, no footprints would have been left behind. No one believed me when I told them about what I saw. I really don't care what people say. I know I saw a Sasquatch that night. As a matter of fact, Ralph jokingly said before I left that one of the funny things is, is rarely are moose ever seen in this part of British Columbia, the West Coast region, mm -hmm. you know, from the yeah. West. He, saw, he said he saw a moose once in the Ruby Creek vicinity. And he said most of his, more, most of his hunting bunnies believed them, more than believed them about the Sasquatch and believed them about the moose. <laughs> well, you yeah. know, there's, there's uh, not that many wetlands, uh, you know, to sustain a, a moose population in the lower part of the province, I think. Yeah, they're usually higher elevation critter, and you find them like Coca from Hope, Hope East. Yeah, from Hope up. East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The West Coast, they tend to avoid, yeah. Yeah, any 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 place between Hope and Prince George, which is right. about one third of the way up the province, uh, Ralph, lots of moose. Yeah, Ralph couldn't tell what color it was. He just said it was very yeah, dark, either dark gray or black. It was immensely tall. He I guess anywhere between six and seven feet, much taller than. He said it just stood there like a great big tree stump on the side of the road as he drove by, and he said, and there's no tree stump like that there. I mean, they cut the trees back to the hillside, and you see the trees on the hillside. There's nothing between that hillside and the road. This thing was right, almost, almost going right on the pavement. I was just standing there watching the car go by. It's strange how, in so many reports, there's no, um, there's no sign of fear on 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 the part of the Sasquatch. No. And most of the time it just looks at people as a curiosity or, or an, an annoyance. annoyance. Yeah. Yeah, like get out of my way. Come on, I'm coming through here kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I mean the way the the way it was described how it just stood on the side of the road. It didn't try to hide. It nope. just stood on the side of the road and let the car drive by and then it went on about its business again. Yeah. It probably was going to it was probably coming, probably heading to the riverbank. Maybe it did cross behind the car once he hit the brakes, uh, but they just didn't see it. And they didn't ever saw it again. He doesn't know. Uh, was recently wiped out by the mudslides we just recently had in this area. I yeah. haven't seen it since, but uh, uh, since we had the slides in November. But I'm curious to see if that spot there, just before, as you come down that kitty corner, before you see the bridge there and 
mm-hmm. and the Ruby Creek rest stop. Yeah. Which is right there. Of course, you go another kilometer down, you actually reach Ruby Creek itself, and you go by then, there's the entrance to the Chapman Farm. So it's yeah. an area well known for historical Sasquatch encounters. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just uh, love the idea of Ruby Creek. It is, I mean, uh, that spot where this incident happened is only about a half hour drive from my house. Yeah. And uh, I, I just think it's really an authentic report in so many ways because there's been a lot of reports about couples out driving, daytime, nighttime, whatever, where the driver says, what the heck was that? And the passenger says, "What? I didn't see anything." It's like <laughs> they're 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 doing something, looking in the purse, or they're trying to get something out of the back seat, or whatever. When these you, incidents make occur, this out, make this out very well. But that's a sort of a little diagram Ralph drove for me at the time. You know, you got the car, yeah. the highway, and the figure right there, and it's just standing there, watching the car drive by. <laughs> Well, I think uh, no. That is that's one of my favorite reports, definitely. Yeah. And, and again, I, it's I never passed. One that never would have been recorded or. or uh, yeah. How many? How, yeah. R- Ralph has unfortunately passed away. He passed away about ten years mm-hmm. ago now. I don't know if Jennifer is even still alive. Yeah. It's amazing when you think about how much how many, uh, many of these incidents that take place are not reported, mm-hmm. you know? For every one that is reported, there might be a dozen that are not reported. Yep. So, and I can understand, I can understand. Nobody wants to be made a fool of. Nobody wants to be embarrassed. Uh, you know, you pick your audience carefully before you start talking about Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of courage to step up and say, well, this is what happened to me, and believe it or not, I don't care. But I'm telling you, this is what happened to me. And uh, I think that's uh, absolutely fantastic that we do have enough people that are bold enough to come forward. Yeah. we we got time enough now for if we can squeeze a shorter one in. What about uh, the Pete Nab incident? This that was out this on the same. island, wasn't it? No, this is in uh, central British Columbia, south of Three Valley Gap, British Columbia. The closest town is Lumbee, I believe. Lumbee. Uh, yeah, I have to look that up again. It, it's kind of like uh, just east of the Okanagan Valley. Between oh, yeah. Between Okanagan and, and, and the Kootenai Lakes. And this happened just a month before the Ralph and Jennifer Bobbins. This happened in July of 1973. Busy year. Yeah. 1973. Yeah. Now, this is late July 1973. I found about this when I was in Alberta. The witness lives in Alberta, but he's a BC boy by birth. I'll just read you where I wrote here. And I met him at home and did a full interview at the time. As a Sasquatch investigator, I decided to advertise my interest in the Alberta Bargain Finder and Alberta Media, not expecting much of a result. But I was suddenly surprised when a man by the name of Pete Nam phoned my house one night to tell me of an incident involving himself and two friends 
a boy named Brent Shortley, S-H-O-U-L-T-Y, and Jeff Brockton. At the time of the call, I was out, but my, my ex-wife took down the name and numbers for me where I could reach him later. She actually used to help me out a little bit before we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> a few days later, after trying to meet with him unsuccessfully on two occasions, I finally met with him at his home to discuss his story of the time he was living in Calgary, Alberta. He informed me that he told his story to others about his experience, but apparently suffered ridicule and skepticism. Pete Nab and two friends, Brent Shortley and Jeff Brockton, were hunting. These were boys at the time, okay, about 15, 16 years old, walking around, hunting small game with little 22 caliber rifles, okay, near the small town of Lumbee area known as Three Valley Gap. He and his friends were walking through a meadow when they saw what at first they thought was a bear. It was standing a hundred yards away at the edge of the tree line on the opposite side of this clearing we were in, and it was just standing there watching them. It was then that they realized that it was not a bear because the creature had a flat face and was standing on its hind legs with one hand on some falling logs that were stacked beside where it was standing. There was a pile of logs there. Don't know if it was logging that was cleared. You know how they put them in a pile and they burn away the rubbish later? That's what it sounded like. Yeah, slash. Was, yeah. yeah, slash. Yeah. It made no threatening moves. But the boys, for some reason, got panicked and they start to shoot at it with their 22 caliber rifles. The bullet seemed to have no effect on, on the creature, so they decided to make a, history a hasty retreat. As they were running, Pete did look back to see the creature turn and walk off in the opposite direction. It walked away on two legs, upright, and it never did drop down on all fours. And I asked, were you hitting it? And I said, I think we're hitting it sometimes because it almost looked like it was with its other hand and the hand it was leaning against the logs with, it was looked like it was swatting mosquitoes. Like, but, uh, you know. Huh. So I did a funeral. I said, what date was this when you saw this thing? He said, high summer, late July 1973. Question, was this you and the two friends who saw it? Answer, yeah. Me and two friends. Question, where in British Columbia did this happen? Answer, Hunter's Range. That's what they call the area of Free Valley Gap. Question, that's about 30 miles from the Okanagan Lake? He said, well, it's about 30 miles from Enderby. Question, what time of day was this? It was in the afternoon. Question, just describe what you saw and what happened. Answer, well, we were walking through a meadow. We got, I don't know, maybe 20 yards into the meadow. We're looking around, you know, with a 22, you hunt little things. And we saw, I'm not sure who saw it first, probably all three of us saw it at the same time. It was standing there, and it didn't move. But we saw it. At first, we thought it was a bear, but it wasn't a bear. And we shot at it. We looked at it, and it still didn't move other than swatting at something like swatting at bugs. 
They didn't run away from us or attack us or anything. They didn't walk any closer. We didn't go any closer to it. We, we stopped where we were, all three of us, and we shot at it. And we emptied most of our guns at it. And nothing happened. It didn't fall. We didn't kill it. And I guess we didn't hurt it. I have the feeling they probably did hurt it and probably annoyed it. Yeah. Question. No reaction. It just stood there watching you? Answer. Yeah, it just stood there like it didn't move. It didn't It didn't run or anything. Nothing. Other than, you know, making like sweating at bee movements. Mm-hmm. And after we shot it, and, and I sort of suggested it would be a good idea to buzz off out of there in case it gets <laughs> mad and comes after us or, you know, gives us some of the treatment we were giving it. Question. Did you... Did you three hear it first or see it first? Answer, we saw it. Question, I was just standing there watching it. Answer, yes. There was no noise. It didn't make any kind of noise. Question, you were in the metal and it was standing on the tree line? Answer, on the tree line, yes. What color was it? Answer, black. I asked again, black? Answer, yes. Question, was it covered in hair? Answer, yes, it was covered in hair. Question, it was standing on two legs? Answer, yes. Question, you didn't notice any facial features? Answer, the facial features that I saw was, you know, thinking back years ago. And remember, I'm, I'm interviewing this man in 1984. Yeah. Mm -hmm. About something that happened in 1973. The eyes, they were deep. They weren't, they weren't real deep eyes in the face, but they were in, like the forehead jutted over it. It had, it had a nose, like the nose, it, it was um, um, a wide nose, like, like a Negro's nose. Question, like a flat nose? Answer, yes. And like it had a mouth, and it was big. Um, did you see its teeth? It said, no, I didn't see any of its teeth. Question, the arms, were they large? Did they have larger mouth of arms? Answer, there were big arms, and they were really long. Question, also covered in hair? Answer, covered in hair, yes. Question, did you notice the color of the skin in the facial area in the hand? No, I don't think I really saw any skin. Question, no? Answer, no. Question, the face was all covered with hair? Yeah, uh, that's all I saw was hair. Question, okay, you didn't get a good look at its eyes. A answer, no. Question, as soon as the three, you saw this thing, you started shooting at it? Answer, yeah, we started shooting at it pretty quick. Like, it was a few seconds we had to decipher what it was because it was so, well, we thought it was a bear. It wasn't a bear because bears don't lean against trees on its hind legs. That's actually not true. They do. I've seen that myself. This thing was leaning on some trees, standing up, and it was bigger than a bear. Question. When you shot at it, you didn't hang around to check for footprints? <laughs> no, we didn't. 
we were just kids, and then, you know, it scared us because, you know, when you have a gun, you're told with a gun, you shoot something that's supposed to, I don't know, die. And this thing didn't die. And after we shot at it, we turned around, and like I suggested, that we leave. And we turned around, we started hitting back rather cautiously on, but we didn't want to get hurt and we all turned around and I turned back and I looked and we saw it turn and it quickly turned for something that big it was like it turned fast and it walked off into the bush it wasn't running but it did move pretty fast and it didn't back or come after us or nothing Question, it walked on two legs at all times and never went down all fours? Answer, never. How tall would you estimate this creature to have been? Answer, I would say it was between eight and a half to nine feet tall. Question, nine and a half feet tall? Uh, answer, yes. Question, did you not go back to check for footprints? I asked him that again to see if he would give a different answer. but uh, mm -hmm. Answer, no, we didn't. It's pretty scary when it walked away, like when it turned and it went like this and he gave sort of a demonstration of it. Yeah. It was really heavy. I mean, this thing was big. It was real, like a real heavy, heavy man. Question, did you smell any odor? Answer, no. Uh, I guess we were too far away to smell it. Never smelled anything. It never made any noise? No, it never made any noise at all. There was no violent actions by this creature? No, not like we were given it. Question, you shot at it and the bullets had no effect? The bullets had no effect and I know we hit it. The three of us are not bad shots. And I know that some of those bullets hit it, but it didn't, you know, if I had been older, I would have gone over and checked things out, you know, very more closely, maybe even followed it. How old were you at the time this happened? Well, I'm 27 now. Remember 1985. I would have been 13 or 14. Question. It just moved off when the three of you boys ran away. Answer, yeah. And then when we turned and started to leave, it did the same thing. It's strange. I never saw anything like it in my life. Question. Have you seen anything like it since? Nope. And I never talked about this, never, because people would think I was crazy. And I wrote down here, Pete Nobbs a hard-working man working in the oil industry now. He's also an experienced bushman. He, he saw something in Hunter's Range that could not explain. That something fits the description of the Sasquatch. And Pete Nobbs, I asked him to draw a little diagram about what he was looking at. And this is the best he could do, but this is what he came up with. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Just something standing there, the tall ferns leaning against what you call a cut of piled logs, one arm stretched out in piled logs, and then the, the boy sort of panicked and started shooting at it with 22 caliber rifles. Now, caliber rifle is basically uh, a glorified BB gun, as you know, but it can kill you. And it I can, you know that. Animal, uh, if, it, even if, it, if it's too big to be really affected by badly placed 22 shots, they got to hurt like hell. Oh, definitely. I yeah, mean, they will the puncture. They will puncture. The thing, there's occasionally the thing went like this. 
Well, you know, maybe it's pretty uh, dense, the hide, because, I mean, like cowhide, cowhide is one of the most unpenetrable skins on any animal on earth. I mean, uh, anyone who's ever tried to skin a cow or anything can tell you that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, their leather-like skin is almost impervious, yeah. you know, so this thing might have the same concept. The only thing that bothers me, frustrates me about this report is that Pete never comes out and says what he estimated the distance was yeah. from them and the creature. Yeah. All he said was that we came out into a small meadow. Mm. I don't know what small means, you know. And uh, This is one of my earlier earlier interviews, so I didn't really directly ask him that question either. How far do you think mm. you were from it? Which I ask all the time now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, especially because they're using twenty-two long rifle, I guess, yep. uh, and shooting at it. Now, they had a 30-odd six or something. Okay, I take for granted that it hit the thing, and it could very well have killed it. But uh, like you say, it's a glorified pallet gun, although it can kill a person, no problem. Yeah. But uh, I asked him about I, I I, asked ask him about the rifles. He said there was actually only two rifles, so not all three boys were carrying them. One boy, Pete had one, and one of the other boys had one. And yeah. the one rifle the other boy had was a bolt action twenty two, and the one Pete carried was almost look, was like a Winchester or lever action rifle. Yeah, lever action. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and they were basically yeah, for, for rabbits and things to shoot at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it makes me wonder. See if if you, if you only had I don't know what the velocity range of a long twenty two uh, lo, long rifle is. I think probably a couple of thousand yards or something like that. And after that, you you could catch it in your hand and put it in your pocket. You know, <laughs> it, it it loses uh, the velocity extremely quick. Uh, so. Yeah, if he had to say, well, I don't know, we came into a meadow. How long was it? Oh, I don't know. It was about six or seven hundred feet long. And where was the creature? Well, he was halfway up the meadow, so that would put him about four hundred feet or so away, three hundred feet away from you or something. Well, and you know, that's like, that's something yeah. you could run with. Yeah, it almost sounded to me like they came into the meadow and were starting to cross it and search around for things like rabbits when they noticed this thing mm -hmm. sitting in the tree line at the other end of the meadow. Yeah. Yeah, on a snag of logs, right by a snag of logs, and just watching them, standing perfectly motionless. And I've had so many witnesses tell me this before. If they hadn't looked right at it, they never would have noticed it was there. It was standing that still. Well, humans have the frontal you know, the frontal uh, view, the same as any predator, and predators react to movement. Right. And if something doesn't move, you can't see it unless you're staring straight at it. And sometimes you can't even see it then. Yep. But you know, it's uh, yeah, that's a learned behavior, I guess, on their part. It's a way to survive, and. Um, I felt nothing. Right. I didn't see any reason why Peter Nevin would be making this up, mm -hmm. and uh, what or whether he was just mistaken, which is always a possibility. But I don't think yeah. so. It sounded to me like a bunch of thirteen, fourteen-year-old boys out hunting small stuff came across something big that scared the hell out of them. They started shooting at it, and they left. Yeah, yeah. And how could a bunch of thirteen-year-olds walk around with twenty-two rifles anyway? I Mind you, this was back in 72 before the, 
Hell, the I firearm used to walk around with a twenty-two back then. Yeah, I walked around with a twenty-two in the back then all the time, and we'd shoot at anything. We were boys. <laughs> not, 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 not to be associated with the movie We Were Men. Yeah, <laughs> we were boys. We're young, stupid. You know, we do do shit like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Norman, well, Norman, we're shooting at stumps, or we're shooting at tin cans we brought with us for that purpose, or something like that. Yeah. But. We like things that make noise and explode, and yeah. uh, any kind of mayhem. We're for it, whatever it might, in whatever form it might be. One, he actually told me that. No, at that age, we actually, if we got rabbits, we skinned them and we ate them. So, yeah. 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 Rabbit tastes rather good. Yeah. And you'd have to be pretty good to get a rabbit with a 22. Mm-hmm. You'd have to be a pretty fair shot. Mm-hmm. That's for certain. Right. So it makes me wonder how, how, uh, how uh, the, he said that they were fairly good shots. So uh, if most yeah, of those I- shots would. I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing two, two, two rifles that. Well, the Winchester one must have had at least ten rounds, eight to ten rounds in it. Pretty rapid bolt, firing. Yeah, the bolt action one probably at least five. I think five. I used yeah. to have one many years ago when I was a kid. It was a German one, yeah. and uh, yeah, extremely accurate little thing. It must have been an expensive gun. Whoever originally bought it, and uh, yeah, yeah. And it was a bolt action. I think it was uh, five in the magazine. Five was the capacity. I don't know the lever action, what it would have been with the lever action. But, yeah. But anyway, you know, uh, coming up in the the next program, I think we're going to visit one of my favorite places on Earth. And that is uh, we're going to talk about the little town of Princeton. And uh, a little encounter that happened there on a bridge. This is back again in the 70s, mm-hmm. early to mid-70s. And uh, I, just, I just love that country up there, Colmont and, uh, and, uh, and um, uh, I'll have to edit this part out. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the other town. Colmont. Uh, and on the back of Colmont, there's another one on Otter Lake or something. It begins with a T. Oh, I have uh, to look that up again. But it's a dirt road that goes back in there. <laughs> yeah, it goes back in there for miles. Yeah, and Colmont's just a little community. I've seen it a number of times. And there's only something like 10 or 15 cabins and the little houses, and half of them are deserted. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, and but that it's was fascinating. Back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. That was back in the Yeah, 80s. I mean, uh, yeah. We before COVID hit, we camped out back there for ten days, mm-hmm. twelve days at Rock City, which is right down on the river in yeah. Colmont. Yeah. And, and we you know, drove the all of there. The forest there is more like big pine trees rather than the firs and the cedars here in the West Coast rainforest. And there's seems to be you're able to see between the trees better. Yeah, that sort of reminds me of Skagit, Skagit mm-hmm. County, the road where you go down to the lake on the border there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget the name of it now. Uh, anyway, yeah, you you can like see for hundreds of feet in between the trees on both sides of the road. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a absolutely yeah. 
absolutely fa- fantastic. But uh, no, that that was that was interesting. Can you recall? We were talking about these incidents that occurred on Highway 7, and one thing came to mind, Rick Knoll saying one time, maybe he told you, I don't know, that that was the only time he thinks he ever saw a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. I think he was leaving your place and heading back to Harrison. Yeah. he's he, And somewhere was... between your place and Harrison, he said he saw a pair of legs, big furry legs, off at the edge of his headlights going across the road. Yeah, and he said, if I ever legs. saw one, I think that was it. <laughs> yeah. A pair of legs. <laughs> yeah, a pair, a pair of legs. Uh, of wow, course, I've been, I've been by there both ways, more times than I can count. I've seen bear, I've seen deer, I've seen people, but I've yet to see a sasquatch on Route Seven. But they used to call mm-hmm. it scenic sasquatch drive, and used to see these little signs with little cartoon sasquatches. There's only one left now, by hope. Uh, but they used to be all between Hope and Maple Ridge. Uh, wow. CD 7, Sasquatch Drive. But they all got taken down through road work and stuff, and they never got put back. And I, I put a bunch yeah. of them in the book so you could see what they looked like when they were still around. But the, uh, you, Lougheed Highway, number seven, with Ruby Creek and the Chapman Farm has, used to be known as Scenic Sasquatch Drive just because of the long history reports. Uh, people drive and oh. see, and it still happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm glad I happen to live so close to it because maybe I'll meander up that way a number of times after this winter weather disappears, and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, lately, lately it's been for essential traffic only because of the slide and flooding situation, but. Uh, yeah, no, I can't even go down and harass you because of that. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, yeah, I was going to drop off a microphone to you. Something uh, that, that sounds a little better than what you're using now. You no, none, of this is being, none of this is being recorded. <laughs> it's not? In fact, no. Okay, dear listener, that about wraps it up for now. My name is Jerry Matthews. You can reach me at yellowcoyote at talus.net. Thank you for your interest, and until the next time, keep searching. <laughs>